0: I thank God for all who have led us in worship today, those who have led us in music and scripture and prayer. Thank God for all of you who are worshiping with us online and in person. We're in a sermon series called Crosswise, understanding Jesus's death. So we are looking at different scriptures that help us understand the many important and wonderful meanings of the cross of Christ. Today I want to draw your attention to Colossians chapter 2. I will read verses 13 through 15 from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of my sermon today is Victory on the Cross. We've already won. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. When he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Theologian Ada Maria Isasi Diaz cites the expression, La vida a la lucha. It means to struggle is to live. Do you ever sense that life is a struggle? Do you ever feel that daily existence is a perpetual battle? According to the Bible, the world is, permeated with powers that assail humanity at every turn. These hostile forces are always hounding us, tempting us, opposing us, besieging us. To struggle against these powers is to live. The powers are represented in the serpent that induced adam and eve to commit the inaugural sin in genesis 3. the powers are represented in the sin that was crouching at cain's door prompting him to kill his brother abel in genesis 4. the powers are represented in the pharaoh who tyrannized the israelites in the book of exodus the powers are represented in the satan who assaulted job again and again in the book of Job, And the powers are represented in the thrones and dominions and cosmic forces of evil that Paul references in his letters. Within this broader matrix of inimical powers, Colossians 2.15 refers to rulers and authorities. These terms echo Colossians 1.16 which speaks of things in heaven and things on earth, things visible and things invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether rulers or authorities. These terms denote both supernatural powers and social structural powers. Indeed, Ephesians 3.10 speaks of rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, while Luke 12.11 12.11 speaks of rulers and authorities in reference to earthly officials. Although some today think it's naive to believe in the devil and demons, it's commonly recognized that unseen forces are at work in the world. This is why there is widespread talk of economic forces, technological forces, cultural forces, digital forces, market forces, social forces, and so on. There are factors and developments, powers and forces, and confluences among them which are totally beyond our control. The powers seem to have a life of their own. They operate in a way that transcends the intentions of all the individuals involved in a given situation. Theologian William Placker writes, whether it's the logic of warfare that seems to require murdering innocent people or the sexual affair that gathers its own momentum or the economic situation that forces a factory closure or the history of abuse that goes down the generations of a family, there are countless situations in which the evil that surrounds us seems greater than the sum of the bad deeds of the human agents involved. Indeed, the cosmic powers operate in institutions and infrastructures to magnify the impact of any unrighteousness and to create an atmosphere of chaos, fear, division, and hostility. This is why people say hateful things online that they would never say in a face-to-face, one-on-one conversation. This is why people do terrible things when they're part of a group that they would never do alone as an individual. It's not just other people, though. We would be remiss not to recognize how the powers lead us to do wrong. And Once, when I was in high school. I was riding around at midnight with several buddies, and a couple of them who were driving the trucks decided they wanted to steal some pumpkins from a roadside stand. I told them it was a bad idea. I tried to talk them out of it. I knew it was immoral and illegal, but they pulled into the parking lot, and the guys formed a line to pass these pumpkins from the stand into the truck beds, And I remember sensing evil in the air as I participated in this act of theft. This happened over 25 years ago, and I still regret it. No one is immune to the influence of rulers and authorities, which is why Paul says in Romans 3, verse 9, all have come under the power of sin. We can all say, la vida e la lucha, to struggle is to live. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, the cosmic forces of evil. If the powers can magnify the unrighteousness, of a group of teenagers riding around in trucks. Just imagine what the powers do when they manifest in organizations, institutions, and governments. So how can we contend with the powers? How can we resist such formidable adversaries? What hope do we have amid their ongoing onslaught? For one thing, we have forgiveness through Christ. According to Colossians two thirteen through 14, God erased the record that stood against us, nailing it to the cross. The Greek term translated record here evokes a certificate of indebtedness. Our sins are like debts that accrue more and more and we owe God far more than we could ever repay. It reminds me of a young American I read about whose $60,000 debt was weighing on her heavily. So much in fact that she would fantasize about floods and comets and explosions that might wipe her slate clean. One day however she received a letter saying the bank was writing off her debt in its entirety she held that letter close to her pounding heart she had no idea why her debt was forgiven because it's highly unusual for banks to do that but it was a life changer for her how much more then did christ do for us, when He died to cancel our incalculable debt of sin? How much more then did Christ do for us when He died on the cross to erase our record of wrongs? We can hold the cross close to our beating heart because it represents our forgiveness. Whether our misdeeds have been thefts or lies, lust, or violence, pride or greed, hatred or selfishness, Christ died to cancel them in God's record books. He paid our debt in full. All the unrighteous words and deeds that the principalities and powers have led us to perpetrate have been completely and totally forgiven through the crucified Christ. This is such good news that we often stop here. Yet, if we had only forgiveness, we would remain subject to the ongoing onslaught of the cosmic powers. Thankfully, Christ came not only to forgive us, but also to fight for us. Christ came not only to cancel our personal sins, but also to conquer the power of sins. He is the champion over evil. He is the victor over the cosmic forces of darkness. He is the conqueror of the inimical rulers and authorities. According to Colossians 2, 15, Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities. The rulers and authorities of his day were represented by the devil that tempted him for 40 days in the wilderness, the demons that confronted him, During his ministry, the government that executed him on a cruel cross, the corrupt religious leadership that accused him falsely, and the mob mentality of the crowds that shouted, crucify him, crucify him, despite his innocence. Christ's enemies were many. They were rulers and authorities. Yet he triumphed over them all, when he died on the cross what a strange victory what an odd triumph what a peculiar way to prevail the cross is a paradox in which the victim is the victor the loser is the champion the conquered one conquers all overtaken Christ was overtaking overwhelmed Christ was overwhelming he disarmed the powers by refusing to return evil for evil he disarmed the powers by extending love amid antagonism he disarmed the powers by offering forgiveness under attack he disarmed The powers by prayer. Father, forgive them. He disarmed the powers by showing unbending righteousness in the face of vicious injustice. The British preacher John Stott said, by his obedience, his love, and his meekness, he won a great moral victory over the powers of evil. He remained free uncontaminated uncompromised since christ has disarmed the powers we are not helpless against them as bible scholar edward lowes writes they no longer have any power over those who belong to the victor our battle tactic therefore in the struggle of daily life is faithful resistance in the likeness of the crucified Christ. We don't respond to evil with evil, but with good. We don't respond to injustice with injustice, but with justice. We don't respond to hate with hate, but with love. We don't respond to antagonism with antagonism, but with prayer. In resisting the powers, we don't stoop to their tactics, we employ the tactics of the cross." After Russia's recent invasion of Ukraine, Ukrainian pastor and seminary professor Theodor Reichinitz began assembling a group of volunteers to take care of some of the most vulnerable Ukrainian citizens, including the elderly. Pastor Reichenitz and his group have been working tirelessly amid the war to deliver bread, clothing, medicine, and hygiene items to senior citizens that are quarantined in bomb shelters. They are scared to death, the pastor said. They are there hungry, without electricity, without water. So what we decided to do is we decided just to provide to these people. They have reached out to Ukrainian soldiers as well, serving the Lord's Supper to them. Pastor Reichenitz is praying daily not to lose his humanity. He says, I don't want the outrage, the negative emotion, my anger to take control of the situation because I think that's what our enemy wants and that's what we cannot let happen. This is cruciform resistance to the rulers and authorities. This is the cross-shaped victory. Although Christ has conquered the rulers and authorities, they are not yet eliminated. We are still surrounded by them, though we are no longer subject to them. We are still beleaguered by them, though we are no longer beholden to them. This is why Paul told the Ephesians to stand Firm against the principalities and powers. We stand firm by resisting them in a cross shaped way. We resist with prayer as Christ did on the cross. We resist with love as Christ did on the cross. We resist with faith. As Christ did on the cross. We resist with peace as Christ did on the cross. We resist with righteousness as Christ did on the cross. If la vida e la lucha, to struggle is to live, then in Christ to struggle is to conquer. (laughs) To resist the powers faithfully is to triumph with Christ. To defy the powers with love for God and neighbor is to participate in the victory already. To refuse to let these powers demoralize us is to share in the conquering work of the Savior. When we embody the way of the cross amid the ongoing onslaught, practice holy defiance of the highest order. We will not give up. We will not give in. We will not fold. We will not lose our faith. We will not lose our righteousness in Christ. We will not lose our hope in Christ. We will not lose our strength in Christ. We will not let our love grow cold. Back in 2017, shortly after the terrible events in Charlottesville, Multiple groups of white supremacists planned a big rally on the town square in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. I was serving as senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Murfreesboro at the time, located on Main Street, just a stone's throw from the town square where this rally was to be held. My friend, Pastor James McCarroll, was serving as the pastor of the First Baptist Church on East Castle Street, in Murfreesboro. And his church, which is predominantly black, and our church, which is predominantly white, had done several things together, including joint worship services, joint mission projects, and joint educational programs. So he and I discussed this situation with the hate groups coming to town and all the hoopla surrounding it, and we decided we would hold a prayer vigil the night before the rally in hopes of bringing the whole community together in prayer and in a counter-witness of love and peace. We each called some local ministers we knew and invited them to participate in leading prayers at the event. We contacted some local officials as well, including the mayor, the police department, and the county sheriff, who was an active member of our church at the time and proved incredibly helpful in planning the prayer vigil for maximum safety there was an ominous feeling downtown as local businesses were boarded up and belligerent groups of counter protesters arrived and the fbi rolled into town and the media were in a frenzy i could sense evil in the air walking around town it just felt like chaos was brewing Despite widespread safety concerns, hundreds of people filed into our sanctuary for the prayer vigil that night at First Baptist Church on Main Street, just a stone's throw from the town square where the rally was to be held. There was a powerful sense of love in the room, even joy and peace. Hugs and handshakes were exchanged among the beautifully diverse congregation of teenagers and senior citizens, black folks and white folks, Republicans and Democrats, city folks and country folks, all gathered together to worship God in the name of Christ in pursuit of justice and righteousness and unity. The pastors leading the prayers were African-American, Indian-American, Arabic-American, white-American, male, female, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopalian, disciples of Christ, Baptist, and more. Each pastor led a prayer beneath the large cross affixed to the front wall of the sanctuary. I remember I opened the prayer service by welcoming everyone and drawing attention to the cross as a symbol of Christian love for neighbor. I remember my friend Pastor James McCarroll and other pastors praying love for enemies and praying justice and peace for the community, I remember feeling the Holy Spirit in such a real and close way as the Spirit was there blowing through the sanctuary, diminishing our fear and supplementing our strength. And I remember well when my friend, Reverend Polk Van Zant of St. Paul's Episcopal Church right across the street came up to the pulpit to lead us all in the passing of the peace. He came up to the mic and he looked out at this beautifully diverse crowd of people gathered in the name of Jesus Christ for love and justice and peace and unity. And he said to us, the way I see it, we've already won. Amen.